As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I just want to give you guys a heads up that there is some light cursing in this episode. So if you have little ones around or you're listening at work, you may want to put in headphones. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to the Food Heaven podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. You guys, we have maybe one of our favorite guests of all time today. His name is Harold Villarosa. He is a chef. And I would tell you more about his background, but the bio he sent us says simply, just a kid from the South Bronx. He's downplaying, <laughs> he's downplaying himself a lot because he's, he's a chef. He's on Bon Appetit. He is opening up several restaurants across the United States. Like we were so excited to chat with him today from everything about how he incorporates culture into cooking in a very authentic way and how he really seems to understand foods from so many different cultures. And this is a product of growing up in the South Bronx. We talk about his brand, Filipino Soul Food, how he got into cooking, how he incorporates cooking at home. Yeah, I think that might be the shortest bio we've ever had from a guest. Just sent me his videos from Bon Appetit. First of all, we've both been over Bon Appetit for all of the foolery that they've been pulling. (laughs) (laughs) So we were like, canceled. Then just sent me this video and I was like, oh, who's this? I was like, where he from? I was so confused because he had on like a Compton (laughs) t-shirt. He was giving me Mexican vibes. But then he was talking like he was from the Bronx, which I can easily identify, obviously, because I'm also from the Bronx. And I'm like, who is this person? He has so much personality. And enter Chef Harold, Uncle Harold. I have been loving his videos. And yeah, we're just so happy that we got to speak to him about all things cooking, culture, entrepreneurship as well. So yeah, we think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And before we jump in, we want to highlight a listener review. This is from John Good, the perfect blend of research and compassion, simply inspirational. I'm a professor and was asked to teach a nutrition course. Listening to this podcast not only changed my entire approach to teaching that course, it has changed my approach to teaching and life in general. Thank you so much for being a constant source of reliable information and inspiration. You are the best. Oh, my God. I'm like literally tearing up. (laughs) That's That's so so sweet. Wow, thank you. That's really sweet. Thank you. That is so sweet. And it's funny because I I was telling Jess that I recently reconnected with someone that we used to work with who is now a director at the Lehman College Nutrition Program. And she was telling me that she shares our podcast with all of her faculty and her students. Jess, are you crying? I literally was tearing up. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Because I was like actually like really soaking it in. I'm like, that is really sweet and nice and meaningful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you so much for leaving that review. Yeah. And yeah, go on iTunes, leave us some stars, leave some words if you have a couple minutes. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everyone who, who has left a heartfelt review. Yeah. All right. With that, let's jump in. Okay, Harold. So we are so excited to have you on the podcast. I was watching Bon Appetit and I have to say, you made it good again. (laughs) I canceled them. And then I was like, wait, who's this? And then I was like telling my husband, I was like, oh my God, Chef Harold is amazing. And we love your videos anyways. So we want to hear more about that story. But first, tell us where the name Uncle Harold comes from. Because like, I know it's at your handle and I think you have like a restaurant named Uncle Harold as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uncle Harold became sort of like a, a brand activation for us. I, I had a, I have a nonprofit called Encircle Project, which uh, I teach kids about low-income neighborhoods and low-income neighborhoods about how to be social entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And Uncle Harold came about when we were trying to figure out how to delineate the branding from both the Encircle Project to kind of my personal brand. And so I'm I'm my uncle to like 12 nieces and nephews. Oh, wow. So every time we all get together, I'm I'm the one cooking and I'm the one like telling all the the crazy stories. So I'm basically the the uncle. So that's how it came about. And then I guess it just kind of rolled. Everybody really likes the branding for it. So, yeah. So tell us about where you're from. We want to know like the origin story. Have you always been cooking? When did you get into cooking? Like started from the bottom. Now we're here. Tell us everything. I was born in the Philippines. I came to New York in 1994, and we went straight to the South Bronx. And so I had to really assimilate myself right in the middle of in the early 90s. And um, cooking, I was doing it for a lifestyle. Like, I didn't want to be a chef, right? I needed a pair of sneakers. And I asked my mom, is she going to give me some money? She said, we'll get a job at McDonald's. And I said, oh, fuck it. So I got a job at McDonald's. And that's how it all started for me. And I just enjoyed the, the people that work in the restaurant business I enjoyed the the process of being in the restaurant business. And then I just forced myself to fall in love with it. And then here I am now after, was it 25 years now? 25 years in the game. Wow. Wow. That's a long time. Growing up in the Bronx as a Filipino kid, because I'm from the Bronx. I also grew up in the Bronx. And I don't know that I ever met a Filipino person in the Bronx. So how was that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was black and Chinese until I was 17. So that's that's, 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 that's the way I was rolling the whole time, especially in the South Bronx. In the five mile radius, there was no Filipinos, right? And all my neighbors were Dominican, Puerto Rican, you know, Haitian. So I just assimilated with that and kind of, you know, it was a golden age of hip hop too. So really kind of just, you know, it was like the perfect time. I mean, the first song that I heard when I came to New York was Renee by Lost Boys. When I heard that song, that's when I really kind of fell in love with hip hop, fell in love with the culture, fell in love with the South Bronx really and, and, and kind of my community. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have friends that grew up with me and that we're still friends to this day. So, you know, I never really forget where I came from, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I love that. One thing I noticed about your videos on uh, Bon Appetit was they're from so many different cultures. Mm-hmm. And I at first I thought you were Dominican and then you were making Mexican food and you it sounded like it was very authentic. I was like, oh, no, he's Mexican. And then I go to your page and it's like, oh, no, he's Filipino because you have the Filipino soul food. So can you talk about like how culture influences your cooking and also how is it that you seem to authentically know about all these different types of cultural dishes? I found that very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I'm from New York, so 
this is this is the melting pot of you know of the whole thing. And I think growing up with so many different types of people. I mean, I I lived in Washington Heights for like twelve years, so I grew up around Dominicans, Mexicans, and stuff like that. And and working in restaurants too, you're assimilated with all types of different people. So the Mexicans that taught me how to cook regular, like French food, whatever. When we have family meal, we would cook like regional Mexican food. And it would be, you know, they would ask to like bring in nopales or or tomatillos and we make our own like, you know, salsa verde with with chicharrones or, or, or costillas or whatever, you know, like this is part of our language. And then when the Colombians, it was the Colombians time to turn, you know, to cook, they would make empanadas or arepa de chocolate when the Venezuelans would start cooking. And then the Haitians would start cooking, you know, make rice and peas with with chicken and, and pickles and and then when the Jamaicans start cooking and some curries, you know, so we all learn from each other. And, and that was part of being in the, in the restaurant business. And I think just growing up in New York and being able to have all of these things available to you, you can go to Queens, you can go to Brooklyn, you can go to, you know, East Harlem, you can go uptown to like really taste these type of food. I mean, it kind of just embedded in me. So there's just part of it, I guess. And, and I felt like all those cultures have, the cooking style is all the same, right? Like if you have the process, if you know the technique, the only difference is the spices. So that's the way it kind of translated to. Yeah, that's why I love New York. Greatest place on earth, yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. when it comes to food. So did you go to culinary school or was it more like your experience working in different kitchens? It was in 2009, I realized that the food game started getting really, uh, I guess everybody was getting into it. And I was looking into the culinary schools and, like $50,000, $40,000 for like semesters. And and I found a culinary school that was for people that came out of jail. And it was like a work-study program. So I still got the same diploma for like $4,000. And so I just wow. I just hustled, you know, like I, I knocked on doors of like big name restaurants like in the Upper East Side that would never get a brown person in there. Like the only brown people would be like dishwashers, right? And so, you know, I was just knocking doors until they said yes. And then I got passed on from chef to chef. And that's how I started working to like, you know, Michelin star restaurants, whatever. And and then, you know, that's it. I don't think it's luck. I think it's just persistence. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Also, New York hustle mindset, too. Yeah, for sure. So your brand is called Filipino Soul Food. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that is and like what is your unique style of cooking and cuisine? Yeah, I mean, uh, for us, there's always got to be a cultural touch point whenever you taste food, right? There's always got to be something like, oh, it tastes like something like this or it tastes like something my mom made. So for us, soul food is that point, right? Where, you know, this style of cornbread might not be the way you grew up eating it, but it also reminds you of the cornbread that your grandma used to make. So, when we make Filipino soul food, we try to revert back to things that people get reminded of their childhood in regards to like dishes that, you know, that are braised so slowly. There's a dish called laing, which is like collard greens, basically, but it's cooked with coconut milk and lemongrass and a little bit of Thai chili, right? And what I do with it is I add a little bit of a smoked turkey necks and hot sauce and a little bit of vinegar to give it that kind of sudden twist to it. And so when people eat it, they're like, oh, shit, this shit tastes like collard greens, but it got coconut milk in it, you know what I mean? And then, you know, when I make fried chicken, you know, I do it like Korean fried chicken style, you know, I, I double fry it. But the seasonings is like garlic powder, uh, turmeric, uh, onion powder, paprika, all spice, like things that people are 
are culturally aware of and, and, and they'll be like, oh, shit, this tastes like the fried chicken that my mom used to make type stuff, you know what I'm saying? I throw a little sassoon in there too. So, you know, it's, it's like, it kind of mixes it up. And then when I do like my chopped cheese, the same way, you know what I mean? We use like A5 Wagyu ground beef, but we make our own sassoon from scratch. And then we throw that in there with the peppers and onions and then three different types of cheeses. And we make our own style uh, hoagie bread from a bakery in Brooklyn. And then, you know, we make the sandwich, whatever. And, you know, it looks like a chopped cheese, but when you taste it, it's different, you know, it still has those cultural touch points. So for us, adding a little bit of Filipino food touches to it with things that were recognizable that people can connect to is what Filipino soul food really stands for. Mm, that sounds so good. I know. I'm like getting really <laughs> Yeah. And I'm also thinking about that video you did with the egg yeah. rolls. And I was like, oh, damn, now I have like a newfound appreciation for yeah. egg rolls <laughs> because I didn't think about like the layering mm. of ingredients, the quality of the cabbage, like all yeah. of those things that you consider to just be, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. a hood treat. You don't consider it to be like, you know, something really delicious. It's like yeah, overlooked. Somebody rolled that in the back. You don't get those frozen, you know what I'm saying? Especially the ones in the hood. Somebody rolled those in the back, but like somebody was like taking hours to roll those. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our podcast partners this week. So if you guys follow along with Food Heaven, you know that I built an Airbnb from scratch in Joshua Tree. And if you become a guest of this Airbnb, you will notice there is one brand that is on display in my kitchen, in my bathroom, and in my laundry area. And that brand is Blueland. Blueland creates everyday eco-friendly cleaning products to save you money and space without any of the plastic waste. Blueland was founded on the belief that a cleaner planet starts at home. It's a really simple idea. You buy the bottle once and then you can refill it forever. So essentially you're creating no more plastic waste. From their best-selling clean essentials kit to their hand soap duo, Blueland offers safe, smart options for every inch of your home. Also, the bottles are literally the cutest cleaning products I've ever seen, hence why they're on display everywhere. And they smell so freaking good. I swear to goodness, I was literally cleaning the kitchen and bathroom nonstop just to get more of the smell in the air. And my husband was like, why do you keep cleaning? I'm like, because it's Blue Land and because it smells good. So Blue Land's stunning high quality forever bottles start at just $10 when you buy a kit and are meant to be reused forever with money-saving refill tablets that start at just two bucks. So cut the plastic waste without sacrificing clean. Get Blue Land. You'll love it and the planet will thank you. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order when you go to blueland.com slash foodheaven. That's 20% off your first order of any Blue Land products at blueland.com slash foodheaven. Now let's get back to it. Well, you started at McDonald's. You said you've worked at all these Michelin star restaurants. And I'm wondering, like, based on all the things that you've learned, what are some of the biggest mistakes that amateur cooks make? And like, do you have any advice for beginners? Because a lot of our listeners, like, you know, they're kind of struggling in the kitchen. They're trying to improve upon their cooking skills, but they still want to eat really good food. I think the one thing that people kind of, when it comes down to cooking is I think they're just afraid to fail. You know what I mean? Like, you pay all this money for this food and, you know, you want to make it right and then it doesn't taste good. I mean, that's just part of it, right? If it doesn't taste good, yeah. then you just do it over. That's what we do in the kitchens, you know? Like, these dishes that you eat in restaurants, they've gone through maybe eight different iterations before they come out. So, 
I think the one thing that people need to just get over is just being afraid to fail. And that kind of equates to life too, right? People just need to just go for it and just not be afraid to like, you know, make a mistake or overseason something or burn something. So, so the next time you cook it, you understand kind of time and temperature, how to work with the product a little bit more and, and, and just about repetition. And that's how we became good cooks, you know, like we just cooked the shit over and over and over and over again, night after night. That's the only reason how we can tell how, when the fish is cooked, when the meat is medium rare, when to slice the meat, like all type of stuff, you know. But do you feel like it's a skill or it's learned or it's both? It's a, it's a craft. It's a craft. It's a craft. Yeah. So okay. you just got to do it over and over and over again. It's the only way you can really, you know, get it right. Like your mom didn't get that arroz con pollo right the first 20 times she did it right. She had to get yelled at by her moms, right? So now, you know, she's like, what, 60 some? That arroz con pollo is like part of her arm now. She makes that dish every day. She knows when the rice is ready. She knows when the chicken is ready. That's part of it. You just got to do it in repetition. And I think, you know, with the pandemic, people you know, wanted to cook more. And they understood that making bread is hard. It's not easy. Making bread in your crib is dumb hard. So, you know, like you get more appreciation of the product, but also you get to understand, you know, how to make bread in your little ass space too, you know? So I think that's what, that's what happened during the pandemic. I think people fell back in love with food. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I fell out of love with it, but then I'm slowly getting back to it for sure. I was just like, I don't even feel like any of this, but speaking of not feeling like it. So this is a kind of random question. So (laughs) in a relationship, are you someone who does the cooking or like once you get home, it's like cooking is your job and you're over it and you just want some microwave meal or someone else to do it? So it just depends if it's a long day. If it's past 16 hours, then yeah, I want somebody else to do it. But if it's like a regular eight hour day or nine hour day, I'm down to cook. And I'm always, I'm always cooking at the house because there's like a meal prep situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier now. So we got all these things already ready. Like Sundays are my days off. So I usually like prep for the whole week. And then, you know, whoever's, you know, my girlfriend, whatever, she just warms it up in the microwave or the oven and it'll be ready for her. But, you know, Sundays and like Mondays, I usually cook like a nice meal for us. And every night when I get a chance, I'll cook. But usually everything is ready, meal prepped up. Just got to warm it. But I do enjoy takeout food though. Yeah. I'm curious as a chef, what is something that you would meal prep for lunch? Lasagna, sauce, basically a lot of sauce, curries, yeah, like Thai curries, put them in like little batches ready to go. Just got to pop in the microwave. That girl, El Minico, whatever, on TikTok, she got really famous with that salmon dish. We've been eating that a lot lately. Just <laughs> like cooked salmon with rice and like nori sheets and like sriracha and like all type of stuff yeah you know whatever whatever we go like we shop in the asian market so we have a, we have a bunch of asian stuff there at the house and there's always a rice cooker i have a little griddle at the crib too so we just you know sear fish or chicken whatever something simple not crazy yeah that sounds really good yeah that does it also sounds like stuff that you can easily reheat stuff that you could just throw together in a pot, you know, things that are practical. Yeah, I think that's the only way to really, you know, live, you know, intelligently in a way where you, you're not spending more than $200 a week on, on groceries, you know what I'm saying? 
And and sometimes I bring some stuff home from work too, you know, like yeah. some food at work. I just bring that home. But, you know, it just depends. You do gain a lot of weight. Yeah. Uh, being yeah. with a chef though. Tell you that I'm okay with that. The waistline might get a little big. <laughs> yeah, I would just be the trash can. I would be eating everything. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you told us that you're in Phoenix right now. You're from New York. You're working with BA. Like, what's going on? First of all, how did you get involved with Bon Appetit? And what are you up to right now? Like, what's happening? Are you coming back to New York? Yeah, so the, the the way I got into Bon Appetit was when everybody was canceling them. I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity right here. Like, they're, like, hurt or they're, like, trying to find a new way to, like, get back in the scene. But I just DM Brad on Instagram and said, you can't get back to where you need to be without a person like me on your team. And he said, you're right. And then they hired me like after like six interviews. Mm. I don't know. They just they just let me be who I am, and that's kind of one thing I told them. I was like, look, like I can be on Bon Appetit, that's fine, but as long as you let me be who I am, like I can't change. I can't be a different person in the street, and then be a different person on TV because people see me on the street. Like I don't want to be out there acting all different and stuff. You know what I mean? Especially in New York, and so yeah, and that happened, and then. Project-wise, I'm in Phoenix right now for six months until July. And then uh, I moved to San Francisco four months ago. I have a project with Brookfield. You know, they have Brookfield Mall or whatever at, at the World Trade Center. Yes. So I have a project with them. I'm opening a Quebecois Filipino restaurant in San Francisco in September. And that's going to be my full-time thing for the next few years. Yeah. Wow. So oh, my God. So you're not going to be in New York? By coastal, I'm gonna be by coastal. Um, I also have another licensing agreement thing I'm working on with a company that they want me to do some stuff in New York. So I'm gonna be by coastal. I'm gonna get a place, but well, I have a place in New York now, and then I have a place in San Francisco. So I'll be by coastal. So you're pretty much like booked and busy. Trying to man, you know, trying to trying to trying to get out the hood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the thing is, it's like. You're so good at what you do, which is why it's like so exciting to just see you thrive and shine. Because like I'm being very sincere when I say like I would not watch Bon Appetit if it was anymore, if it wasn't for your videos. And I do. I could tell that you are just being authentically yourself and it comes through. And I'm glad that you said that mm. you needed that in order to join that team. Try, it's yeah. Just, yeah, I you, appreciate it. Keep doing you. Okay, so it sounds like you're tri-coastal, bi-coastal. When you are in New York, where is your favorite place to eat? If it's too hard to pick one, pick your top three. The Golden Unicorn for dim sum in Chinatown. It's like a massive, like 6,000 square foot, like dim sum spot. Oh, I think I've been there. Yeah, it's huge. It's a great dim sum spot. I also go to um, Peppa's in Brooklyn for jerk chicken. And then my man got a spot, too, in, in Crown Heights. I forgot the name of it, though. But I go to his spot, too, to get jerk chicken. And then I go to the Breakers in Brooklyn. My boys started a, a pop-up, like a Filipino residency there. And they've been doing cooking food there for like six months now, and it's been lit. So every time I come back, I always try to show love and go over there and check it out. And then obviously, you know, hood spots, you know, I'll get my chopped cheese at Haji's on 110th if I'm missing some good chopped cheese, but I'm on some regular, regular stuff, man. I'm just in the block, you know, just doing regular shit. 
I go to a bodega and get a regular sandwich, but you know, that's it. I wrote all of those down. I'm going to check them out. <laughs> I see her right <laughs> Okay, sorry. I have a real quick follow-up question. Here's one thing that I find a problem with in myself. So I do love food and I love good food. You mentioned being regular, schmegular, degular. Like, mm. how do you go from this great creative meal, food, and then be okay with just like a regular, degular, like, like, I don't know. I feel like I always now am like having to have like the best of the best. Like, how do you, mm. how do you change your palate? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I went through the same kind of uh, situation a few years ago. Like, I just felt like reconnecting with something that makes you feel good. And for me, that's just hood Chinese food. There's me fucking around the bodega, you know, eating some random shit that the Aki man is making for me in the middle of the night. Like, those things are the things that I reconnect with. And I understand that good food is good food. You can taste good food with, you know, with great products and all that kind of stuff. But for me, the hood, like the food in the hood, the shit that I grew up with, is stuff that reminds me of of just the happier times, you know what I'm saying? Especially growing up in the early you know, 90s and 2000s in New York. And that's the only reason why I eat those things, just for, it's for sentimental reasons. And obviously you can eat good food and have really good products and all that kind of stuff. And I do that also on the side. But for me, it's really just reconnecting with that and it just, trying to still tap into where I came from and just remembering all that. And, you know, and you can, you can eat a, you know, Wagyu steak or whatever, any, you know, whenever you want to, but, you know, you can't really get a chopped cheese here on the West Coast. So that's one thing that I really kind of miss, you know what I mean? I don't even know what a chopped cheese is. I'm from <laughs> the West Coast. I lived in New York for a long time, but I've never, I don't, is that like a Philly cheesesteak? Yeah, it's a New, it's a okay, New York style even... cheesesteak. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I feel like it's mm-hmm. come up just more so like after you love so that's probably what okay. you don't know I'm like, about what it that? <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like it's more of an uptown thing because yeah. you were in Brooklyn okay. so okay. yeah. yeah I feel that a lot like the emotional side of things it's funny because yeah. yesterday I wouldn't normally buy box mac and cheese mm-hmm. but Annie's like sent me some and I was like oh well, let me just make it because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm all about like making mac and cheese from scratch and I made it and just so many emotions came up for me from my childhood just like making box mac and and cheese and also it had like bunny shapes mm-hmm. and so I don't know it was a really special moment for me <laughs> mm-hmm. I love box mac and cheese yeah and I mean and you, if you think about it too as an entrepreneur how can you make that you know a healthier right how can you make a healthier version I found this ramen that was like the same cost as top ramen but these guys made it with like wheat flour and like all type of shit like they made their own spices like you know what I mean like so for me, I'm also like trying to like figure out how to make it healthier. And one of the projects that I'm working on that we're kind of starting out in Taiwan is this Uncle Harold brand of like, what does uh, a bodega look like? Like a healthier bodega look like where you go into a bodega and you know where your food comes from, like where your chicken comes from, where your meat comes from, where your pork comes from and all this type of stuff. And so we're creating a little kiosk where we're working it out now. And we're going to open it up in Asia first and then we're going to bring it back around to the hood in a couple of years. Oh, I love that. That's so mm-hmm. dope. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. So LA, San Francisco, Chicago, NYC, what city has the best food? What are you thinking? Oh, really? Are uh, you getting- I mean, just regional, man. I mean, there's good food everywhere, I think. But, you know, if you want really good Mexican food, you go to Los Angeles, East LA. 
If you want really good Asian food, you go to Vancouver, BC, you know. If you want really good uh, seafood, you go to Maine, right? Like, it's just regional. It just comes down to regionality, really, and where you're at. And that's what I'm figuring out now. Like, you can find really good food anywhere. Really now, people are becoming more conscious. Like in Phoenix, you know, I, I thought it was a small town, but it's a, it's a huge town. It's a bunch of, you know, young chefs here that are doing crazy things. And I've never really had Southwestern food before, but like, it's really good. It's deep in flavor. It's deep in, in braises and like meat that are like cooked for like, you know, six to eight hours. So it just depends on regionality where you're at. But yeah, I mean, New York got the best food, I think, you know, overall. But, you know, if you're in what region you're in, you can really capture, you know, the essence of the place and what place, you know, of the food and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a good it sounds like New York, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say top three. L.A., Mexico City, and then New York and mm, D.C. D.C. got good food too, yep. Good store. Tied, maybe. Mm. Okay, well, Harold, Uncle Harold, Chef Harold, where can people find you, like, your work, people who are interested, who love what you have to say? Tell us about all the restaurants, the handles, the appearances. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can always find me on Bon Appetit. You know, I'm still on the team for... I think another year I'm going to re-sign again in a couple of weeks. Right now I'm in Phoenix opening a, a Southwestern Mexican restaurant with Angela Sosa. The restaurant's called Tia Carmen. It's for his auntie, who's a Dominican lady. He's Dominican too, matter of fact. So the food has some Dominican food in it, which is pretty crazy, but it's very high-end, which is super interesting too. And then we're going to be opening Villa Rosa in San Francisco, which is my flagship restaurant in September of this year. So... I'll keep an eye on that. That's it. Oh my God, you're killing it. What about New York? Are you going to do a pop-up <laughs> in New York? Like, where can I eat your food in New York? My man, Sib, opened up this joint called Smackwitch in the West Village. We're about to do a collaboration there when I go back in March. We're going to do a little collab, a little chopped cheese collab. And so I might be there, just my, you know, my essence will be there. He's going to be running the spot. It's called Smackwitch. It's in the West Village. They just took over a spot. Yeah. Amazing. Wendy, we should do like a food tour, like go to the Phoenix one. And then I, I want to try it because mm-hmm. San Francisco needs some better food. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Keep shining and we'll catch you next time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.